Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Our scripture lesson today comes to us from the Gospel of John. Not John. I was seeing who's paying attention. Uh, I wasn't. (laughs) Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. I invite you to turn with me in your own Bible uh, to read along, or you can turn to the Pew Bible that's there in front of you. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. If you don't feel like opening up your own Bible, you can pull it up on your mobile device and read along there, or you can simply close your eyes and just take in the word. I once had a parishioner at a former congregation who said, Preacher, I know when you are up there, you see me with my eyes closed. I'm not sleeping. He said, I just listen better that way. Whatever posture you need to receive God's word today, I invite you. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Hear now these words. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him, keeping their distance. They called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine. Where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then Jesus said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was a freshman in college, I went to school at Campbell University. Some of you UNC fans may be familiar with such school after Campbell showed up, I think, for a football game yesterday. Uh, When I was in school at Campbell, I did not go to church very often at the start, especially as a freshman, but at Bowie's Creek, how many of you have heard of Bowie's Creek even? I mean, a few hands, okay. Uh, I mean, it's really not much to do there, and so a lot of times people would go home on the weekends and... I remember one particular weekend, nobody was on campus, nobody was in the dorm, and so I decided on Sunday morning that I was going to get up and go to church. And so I, I got up and had some church clothes, I got dressed, and I drove to Lillington. Anybody heard of Lillington? Uh, yeah. They, in fact, they used to call Campbell UCLA, University of Campbell, between Lillington and Andrew, uh, because it's just in the middle of nowhere. So I drove to Lillington to find the Methodist church there, and I went in. And the only person in the sanctuary was the organist who was playing a little bit. And I noticed the organist looking at me and I grabbed a bulletin. I took my seat and just waited and waited. And finally, the organist stopped playing and came down and said, did you forget to set your clock back? (laughs) It was daylight savings time. 
So I missed out on that extra hour, hour of sleep that I hope you got last night. Uh, and maybe you all are here at the right time. I don't know if you got here an hour ago and then had to wait. But however it is, I'm glad you're here today as we come to worship and praise God. Let's go to God once again in prayer. Lord God, in your grace and your mercy, we come expecting a word from you. Speak, Lord, for your children are listening. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, Amen. Last Sunday, we began a time of a series that we're calling the Generosity Challenge. It's a time that we're trying to look at our lives and recognize that, as we talked last week, we are created in the image of God. And that means when we were created, we were born to be generous. We considered how, as we're created in the image of God, that means that when God formed us, God made us with the capacity, with the ability to reflect, to be an image of many of the attributes that we ascribe to God, such as God is a God of faithfulness, and so we have the capacity to be faithful. God is a God of justice, so we have the capacity, the ability to be just. God is a God of forgiveness, so we have that ability to forgive. God is a God of generosity, and so we have the capacity to be generous. We talked about that in the context of recognizing that God gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, as a gift that we might have life through him. And so as God demonstrated to us what being generous means, we're trying to live into these attributes. And when we live into these attributes, we are not becoming God, but we're becoming an image, a reflection of God. In that sense, I recognize in myself, there are many different images of my father that I did not even know I had taken on. I remember years ago when we were teenagers, one of the young men in the youth group that I was in went to my dad following church one Sunday. And he had watched my dad preach so many times. And he asked my dad, Dr. C, when you're preaching, a lot of times you do this. What does this mean? Are you trying to open a door? And my dad didn't even realize that when he talked with his hands, a lot of times he would do that very motion. And when I watch videos of myself, I can't stand it because I see the image of my father in that, talking with my hands in that way. We reflect the image. We reflect the image of God when we live into these attributes. And it's as if when we do that our lives are in full alignment with God. We talked about a little bit the image of driving a car that gets out of alignment. If we're not living fully into those attributes, we ourselves are not really in alignment. And the best way for us to get an assessment of whether or not our car is in alignment or if our lives are in alignment is to undergo an assessment. Yeah, I don't think any of us enjoy undergoing an assessment of any kind. Whether it is an assessment of our car where you take it to the mechanic, you're not sure what's wrong and you're just waiting to be told that the blinker fluid needs to be changed or the filter for your headlights needs to be uh, renewed. We don't like waiting for that because we know there's always going to be something that we weren't expecting. None of us like to undergo an assessment. 
As I said earlier, and there were dentists at the first service. None of us like going to the dentist, do we? I mean, we don't like going to the dentist. I mean, you know the drill. <clears throat> Sorry. We don't like going to the dentist because we get in there and we're undergoing that assessment. But the thing is, we need to undergo that assessment because we may find out that there's an issue with one of your teeth that is going to cause much bigger health issues if it is not addressed. We don't like going to the doctor and having our blood work done because we don't like having to find out all the things that we have to find out. But we need to have that blood work done to be able to see, are we on our way to diabetes? We need to go through these assessments from time to time in our life. And as we're going through this generosity challenge, I'm inviting you to go through an assessment each week. And it's, it's a, an assessment that is only for you. Nobody else will see it. It's in the email that goes out on Mondays and Thursdays, but you can even go to our website. And on our website, if you'll scroll down just a little bit, you'll see something that says the Generosity Challenge. And if you click on that, it'll just ask you a few simple questions. You don't really, you don't even click anything else. You don't have to write anything down. It's really just for you to assess where you are. For example, last week as a part of the Generosity Challenge, we did a generosity assessment. And so it asked a few questions. Some of these, I'm just going to read a few of them so you get an idea of what I'm talking about. It, it's a statement that you either, one, strongly agree with, or dis, one, strongly disagree with, or five, strongly agree with. And you have to figure out where are you in this continuum of one to five. So the first question in that generosity assessment, compared to my friends and family, I believe I am very generous. Is that something you strongly agree with or strongly disagree with or, or I got them backwards but you know what I'm saying do you strongly agree or disagree that compared to your family and friends are you very generous look compared to my sister no I'm kidding I love my sister she's wonderful she's very generous but when we compare to other people where are we where do we think we are in that continuum? How about this one? This one says, I give a lot of volunteer time to my church, so I don't feel the need to give as much money. One, strongly disagree or strongly agree. The thing is, some people, your time is valuable. Your time is very valuable. And so sometimes that gift of time is a significant gift, but it's something that we need to assess and consider. Are we doing that? Are we living into it? There was one question that I almost decided to take out completely because this one kind of hits me a little close. I give away more money in a year than I spend in other areas, such as Starbucks coffee, personal hobbies, or dining out. Woo, woo. That one hits a little close. Do I strongly disagree with that or do I strongly agree? Do we give away more money than we spend in other areas such as Starbucks, personal hobbies, or dining out? Look, those are some hard, some of these are real hard assessments. Ask yourselves these questions. Just figure out where we are. Are we where we need to be to be that image of God? This week, we're actually talking about gratitude. So there are a few questions that are listed there for you to be able to consider yourself as regards to gratitude. For example, similarly to the first question of the generosity assessment, the gratitude assessment begins with, compared to my family and friends, I am very grateful. Well, they seem to be pretty ungrateful of all that I do, so I would say, yeah, no, no. Are we grateful? 
Are, are, do we consider ourselves compared to our family and friends? Are we very grateful people? What about when I give a gift, I always send a thank you, either by sending a note or email or via a phone call. You know, when somebody takes the time to send you a thank you note or makes a phone call or does something to say thank you, that, that means something to you. And so are you one of those people that lives into that? Here's the last one that I'm going to read. I seldom, if ever, thank people who are simply doing their job. You know, I thought about that last night as my family and I went out to eat. Somebody, the hostess, takes you to the table and we say, thank you. And if they reply, my pleasure, you know where they first started working. <laughs> thank you. We say, do we say thank you? Are we people to express that kind of gratitude? So I invite you, take a, take a few moments and to just look over that generosity, I mean, that gratitude assessment to see, are we people who live as a reflection of God? Are we people that live into that gratitude? Now, over the years, research has shown that gratitude can and will do things to improve your health and improving relationships. Gratitude can help you accomplish more, and it can even help you sleep better. And Forbes magazine compiled this research several years ago, and they detailed in this article that there are seven specified benefits to being people who show gratitude. Number one, gratitude opens the door for more relationships. When we thank someone or express appreciation to someone we've just met, that person is more likely to be willing to engage in an ongoing relationship with you because you first started with gratitude or appreciation. Number two, people who express gratitude, they experience fewer aches and pains, and they report feeling healthier than people who do not express gratitude. Look, at 52 years old, I know I'm still young, but there's not a day that goes by that I get out of bed and something different hurts. <laughs> I know I've got a bright future ahead of me. It only gets better, right? But if we are people that express gratitude, study research says that if we're people that express gratitude, you experience less pains and aches. And we report feeling healthier than people who do not express gratitude. Number three, gratitude improves psychological health. And according to the article, it affect, people that show gratitude effectively increase happiness and reduce depression. Number four, gratitude reduces aggression and increases both sensitivity and empathy. Number five is one that really got my attention. Grateful people sleep better. Grateful people sleep better. I know Jennifer and I, many times we'll have those times that maybe it's been a stressful day in our lives. Something just didn't go right. And so many times we'll spend that time in the evenings as we're walking the dog, talking about how our days went and reliving some of those bad things that were a part of our lives. But when we flip that and we start talking about what it is that we're grateful for, when we talk about what went well that day, what was good that day, it's amazing how the stress just seems to fall away. We focus on what is good instead of that which was bad. And I think it helps us find a place of rest even better. Number six out of the seven says grateful people increases a person's self-esteem and reduces resentment toward people who are perceived as having more Number seven, gratitude increases mental strength. 
Studies indicate that people who are grateful respond to trauma and tragedy with greater resilience and strength, recognizing all that you have to be thankful for, even during the worst of times, fosters resilience. The author of the article concludes, developing an attitude of gratitude is one of the simplest ways to improve your satisfaction with life. Satisfaction with life, just being grateful. But I think it goes beyond just being satisfied with life. I think it goes beyond just having new relationships or even having better sleep at night. I think people, being people of gratitude goes much further than just something superficial. Let's look at the scripture that I read earlier. You know the story. Jesus is walking. He and his disciples are going, and they're going between Samaria and Galilee. And as they're traveling along the way, there's a group of 10 lepers. These lepers are people that have had some type of skin condition that has been brought upon them. It may not have been what we would always identify as leprosy, but there has been something that they have been afflicted with that has caused them to be cast out. They're not able to be in the rest of the community. They're not able, they're separated from their families. They're separated from their friends. And these 10 people, nobody is caring for them. They're out here in the middle of nothing. And when you're in that type of isolation, when you're separated from everybody else, can you imagine how traumatic that's been for them? So day by day, these people that are suffering with this skin condition, this ailment, are sitting around and I can't help but all they're doing is thinking about what it is that they've got, what it is that they're dealing with. But somehow, somehow they've heard of Jesus. And as Jesus is approaching nearby, they all call out with a loud voice. They call out, they're keeping their distance because they know they're not allowed to go near him. They're keeping their distance and they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. I love that. They identify who they're talking to, Jesus, but then they give him a descriptor, Master. They are identifying that he is so much more than just a teacher. They're identifying that he's so much more than an influencer. He's master. Jesus, master, have mercy on me. I love how simple all of this takes place. Jesus simply says to them, you know what? Go, show yourselves to the priest so that you may be clean. Go and show yourselves to the priest. And so the scripture says that the ten begin to leave. And immediately, as they're on their way, recognize, as they're on the way, they notice that they are healed. Jesus simply said, go and show yourself to the, mass, to the priest. And they go. That means to me, if Jesus, when he said, go and show yourself to the priest, they probably looked and they still had it. Well, I guess we got to go to the priest. So they go and they start heading off. They have their affliction. But in the process of leaving, they are made clean. I can't believe what that, I mean, I wish in some way that Jesus had said, in the name of the Father, be healed. I wish he had done something like that. I wish that Jesus had said, here, pour this water over you and watch the scales fall off. No, it's just simply Jesus said, go, show yourself to the priest. And so the 10, they're making their way and they see that they are healed. And one, one sees that he's healed. 
before he could even get to the priest. I mean, that's an important part in this healing process. Once you've had this affliction, to, for the priest to certify that you are now clean, you are now welcome back in the community, you are now able to be with your friends, with your family once again. But this one who has been healed, before he can even go and be certified by the priest, he turns back to Jesus. And he begins worshiping praising, glorifying God in a loud voice. And it says, says that he fell prostrate, prostrate on his face before Jesus. When? When was the last time we fell prostrate before anybody? I mean, we don't. But this person is overcome with this incredible feeling of gratitude that the one who is, he has cried out to has heard him. And all he can do is praise God. I love, and when you read Luke's gospel, Luke adds that one detail. Oh, by the way, the one that came back to Jesus, oh, he was a Samaritan. We don't have time to go into all the details of why the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. But the fact that this is a Samaritan and Jesus is a Jew, but yet he's coming and falling down before him face down, praising, glorifying God. He knows that this, that his life has been changed He'll never be the same. None of the other nine. We don't know what happened to them. They may have gone to the priest and they may have been certified. They may have gone to be with their friends and their family. And, and they don't turn back to Jesus, the one that brought about their healing. It, it makes me think about those times. So this may not apply to you. This may have never happened to you. But I know I found myself praying to God and say, God, if you will get me out of this circumstance, I promise I will never do this again. God, if you will get that police officer to just give me a warning, I promise I will never exceed the speed limit on MLK on a Sunday morning. That wasn't me. Somebody told me about that. God, if you will get me out of this, I promise I'll never do it again. But you know what happens? God so many times gets us out of it, and we forget. We guess just go right back to who we were before, and we keep doing the same thing that got us in the circumstance that we found ourselves in. Not this one. This one came and he fell before Jesus prostrate. And he said, gave glory to Jesus. Gave glory to God. For this one, it brought something more than just a physical cure of being grateful. For this one, it brought something more than just being a, more satisfaction with his life. For this one, he received healing. He received wholeness. Dare I even say, he received salvation. I so wish Paul Harvey could give us the rest of the story with this one. Because I can only imagine that this person's life was changed in a way that they would never be who they were before. And I cannot help but think that God brought about redemption in this person's life. And that they made a transformation so, so much that people began to see who God is because of what, who they were now. That they bore an image of God because of their gratitude, because they went, the way that they lived a life, knowing that they were not who they used to be. They were a new creation through Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's who we are. We are not who we used to be. I, I certainly am not who I used to be, and I'm never going back to who I was before. I am a new creation. I've told this story before, but I, I always feel like it bears repeating 
When I was in seminary at Duke Divinity School, one of my classmates was working at a Baptist church not too far away, and as she was working at that church, she met someone that had graduated from Campbell University right about the same time that I graduated. And so my friend that was in school with me said, oh, well, I know somebody that graduated from Campbell about the same time that you did. Would you happen to know Adam Seat? And the person said, Adam Seat? What's he, what's he studying now? He said, well, he's studying to be a minister. The person shook their head and said, well, it must be a different Adam Seat. <laughs> and she was right. I was a different Adam Seat. I'm not who I used to be because through Jesus Christ, I am a new creation and I'm never, ever going back to who I was once before. God has put us within us this capacity to be a reflection of the image of God. And we live our lives in alignment with God. We live our lives through generosity. We live our lives demonstrating gratitude for what God has done and what God continues to do. We're not who we used to be. We are people that are grounded in gratitude. No matter what the circumstances, our God is always with us. And that's what this represents. When we come to worship, when we come to the table, it, come, it represents people who believe that God has called us. He's called us by name. And we have become a new creation. Today, may we be people that recognize how our lives are fully grounded in that gratitude. Let us pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for who you are, for the love you've shown, the way that you have called us to be a reflection of that image to the world. God, we're not who we used to be, and we could never go back. We are so thankful for what it is you've done and what you are doing. And may we be people that demonstrate that gratitude in such a way that everyone we encounter sees it. That we may be people who live grounded in gratitude to you. So God, thank you. And help us to be that image you've called us to be. We pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.